Hey everyone, this episode of An Eternity of Basketball is part of the Globally Ballin Podcast Network, a subsidiary of the Globally Ballin Media Network. For this show and other shows like it, such as the Globally Ballin Podcast, as well as projects like it, such as original articles and video work, visit globallyballin.com now. If you like this show, be sure to subscribe to it, as well as give it a five-star rating and a review. We appreciate it. Now, to the show. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So I'm Charlie Kuna together with Noel Zarate and Sid Ventura. And this is an Eternity of Basketball episode 105. And what a privilege it is for us today to have uh, someone who doesn't really need much introduction already. I mean, the three-time NBA champion, 14-year NBA veteran. Let's bring him in already. Let's get it started. Coach Byron Scott, welcome to the show, Coach. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Nice to be here. All right, yeah. So here I am. I'm wearing my Lakers shirt because, <laughs> you know, I'm a Lakers guy. I've got the two Celtic guys with me, Sid and, and Noel. But you know it's all good. We're we're gonna tell yeah. stories about basketball here, coach. So so we we'll talk about your career mm-hmm. and then let's get started. You know it, your bio says you were born in Ogden, Utah. But I heard and we've read in the past that you didn't uh, that you grew up not far from the fabulous Forum uh, that could seat seventeen thousand five hundred five back in the eighties, and uh, and you were watching the Lakers when you were a, a young a young a youngster about to learn basketball. How did you how did you learn basketball? I mean. How did you gravitate towards the sport, and why did you choose it as your sport? Well, you know what? I, I think basketball was just instilled in me at a very young, early age. Uh, my dad played college basketball. I never got up to play professional basketball. I got in a car accident uh, going into his senior year uh, at the University of Utah. So he didn't get he didn't get a chance to fulfill his dream. Uh, I, I can remember even at seven, eight years old, being in my backyard. I didn't, you know, we couldn't afford a basketball hoop, and we didn't have much space. So I took a trash can and filled it with leaves and, and, and grass, and just was shooting that. And uh, that was my hoop. You know, after homework, I would go outside and I would stay out there until my mom or dad called me in, and I just had a love for the game of basketball. Uh, but growing up in Inglewood, I played every sport. You know, but basketball was the one that I was. Uh, uh, able to really excel it, and I had a lot of fun doing it. And it was a game that was always fast-paced, so it kept my interest. You know, baseball I played at a high level, but if the ball wasn't hit to me, or I wasn't pitching. You know, I, I was bored. You know, so basketball was the one that, one thing that I felt that I could just do on a regular basis and, and, and get better and better each year. And you know, obviously, I got a chance to play. High school, I was a high school All-American, didn't go to Arizona State, was uh, All-American Arizona State, and did. I drafted by the Clippers, headed to the Lakers, which was a dream come true. That's right. But is it true that you used to sneak into the forum to watch yeah, some Lakers games when you were younger? Yeah, yeah. My Going into my senior year in high school, me and a couple of buddies always wanted to see the Lakers play. So we figured out a way to run down the tunnel and just run past the old security guard guy that, that was there. He had to be about 70 years old. So we knew once we got past him, uh, it was going to be hard for him to catch us. And if we got in the form, we would just walk around and look for a seat. 
So we we did that about four times when I was in high school, and I got a chance to watch Jerry West and, and Will Chamberlain and those guys. Um, I got a chance to watch Bob McAdoo when he was playing for the Buffalo Braves, which ended up being the San Diego Clippers, which ended up being the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, you know, so I got a chance to see some of my favorite players, you know, in high school. And I always went to those games, and I said to myself when I would find a seat that one of these days I'm going to be out there. And, uh, you know, that was my motivation, being able to sneak in the form a few times and then watch these great players play. That's great. Yeah. Were you able to uh, sneak in during uh, the championship of 1972 when the Lakers uh, finally won it all? No, when they were sneaking in, they, they tightened up security. So I couldn't, <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't get past them then. They had the old guard there, but they had the young guards at the door where you had to get into. So it was like, oh, man. We, 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 I tried it one time, and when I got caught, I was like, all right, that's it. You know, I'm not going to try to sneak in again. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I love that. I've been to the championship when they finally, like you said, got over the hump and won the championship. Noel, uh, coach, you said you you were a multi-sport guy. You played baseball at a high level, and uh, finally chose basketball. At what point uh, in your life? I mean, how old were you when you said when you considered basketball as your sport, and 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 thought that you know I could be an NBA player? Noel, I'll tell this story a lot. When I was 12 years old, I told my mom I was going to play in the NBA. I was 12 years old, and uh, my mom, you know, being a mom, she was very supportive. You know, she said, my baby's going to be in the NBA. He's going to play in the, in the <laughs> league. And my dad was like, what if you don't make it to the NBA? I said, well, I'm going to play in the Major League Baseball. You know, so I knew that, you know, one of those two were going to be mine. But I knew when I got to high school that basketball was my ticket. I, I just excelled. Uh, I went from a nine year, you know, in the ninth grade from 5'10 to when I was a sophomore in high school to 6'2". And then, you know, grew a couple of more inches after that. So I, I knew basketball was the sport for me. Coach, when you were at Morningside uh, playing high school basketball, as, as you mentioned, uh, there's a story I heard from someone just recently when they found out that you were going to be our guest, that uh, an, a, a PBA team at the time sent someone and wa he watched you at Morningside and they actually wanted to get you as a PBA import back in 1979 or 1980. So you were still in high school playing high school ball. Were you yeah. aware of that, uh, that that was going to happen? The, 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 the team was Pandway. And it's because of a coach uh, who was coaching here in the Philippines named Ron Jacobs, who was close to coach Jim Herrick at the time. And so they wanted to get mm. you to play in the PBA. So what, do you know that story? What happened over there? No, I didn't, I didn't know that story. I, I never heard about that. Jim Herrick, who's a good friend of mine, who recruited me to go to UCLA as well when I was at Morningside High School, uh, never told me that. And I'm surprised because I played golf with Jim on, on occasions every now and then. And, hmm. See him at charity events and things of that nature. Jim Herrick was a, a, a great man, uh, very fond of Jim still to this day. But he never told me that story that they were looking at me to come over and play uh, PBA, PBA in, in the Philippines. Oh, okay. Well, that, that's a crazy story because when I heard yeah. it the other day, I said, wow, that's amazing. <laughs> Imagine you could have come to the, to the Philippines when you were just in high school. And then and I guess that's, that's how, how high the level of your talent was. But okay, so you, you play, had a great career at, at Morningside, which is in Inglewood. And, and uh, you got to see the Lakers. And eventually... Uh, you go to Arizona State, coach, and, and you play for, for Network uh, with a bunch of guys, you know, who, who would eventually be in the NBA as well. How was that experience? How did you end up at Arizona State? Yeah. Well, I, I didn't want to go too far from home, and, and I really didn't want to go to USC or UCLA. Uh, my, my dreams of going to UCLA was shattered when John Wood retired. 
and he retired my junior year. If John Wooden would have been there going into my senior year in high school, I went to UCLA. I was so fond of John Wooden and all he had accomplished at UCLA. So my dream was to go to UCLA. So when he ended up retiring, uh, the doors were wide open. You know, I, I pretty much said to myself, well, now I'm going to take a look at other universities. Uh, Arizona State was close enough to home where I can get home on the weekends every now and then. Uh, and my mom and dad could come see me play as well. And they had a great nucleus of players at the time. They had Lafayette, you know, uh, Fat Lever, who played in the NBA. Uh, Out Lister, who you guys know real well, who was our center, who played in the NBA for 14, 15 yeah. years. Uh, we had a guy named Sam Williams, who was from Westchester High School here in California. So I knew of Sam and Johnny Nash, who was at Lone Beach, who was the number one high school player in the country when he signed at Arizona State. And then he had this uh, horrific uh, injury, a compound fracture of his leg. So he was never never able to be the same Johnny Nash that I saw in high school. But, you know, he still was able to play and play pretty well and get and, and get drafted. He got cut with Chicago. But we had such a good group of guys. I, I knew if I went to Arizona State, we had two years that we could have a chance of being very successful with those guys. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed playing with those guys. And, and going to Arizona State to this very day, I never regret that decision. Mm -hmm. Yep. Did you, did you get other uh, offers from other big-time uh, D1 schools? I did. I did. I, I was getting uh, offers from everybody in the country for a while until I told everybody that I'm going – I'm staying on the West Coast. I'm not going back to the East. It's too cold. So, you know, <laughs> Notre Dame and Syracuse and schools like that stopped recruiting me. Uh, and I narrowed it down to just West Coast schools. So I, my, my final three choices were – UCLA, UNLV with the Shark, you know, Jerry Tarkanian, who was, okay. you know, had the running Rebels who were playing a full-style basketball game of, of offense. So I thought that was interesting in Arizona State. And then eventually I chose Arizona State. All right. And in your career in Arizona State, you know, you, there was a lot of success. You, you, you placed high in the Pac-10 a couple of years. Was there a year that you sat out? Because I was looking at, the, at your bio and, And you know, it goes yeah. 79, and then there's a one year you sat out. What's the reason for that, Coach? I set out, uh, Charlie, to be honest with you, because I got academically ineligible. I was messing around and just thinking I was a, you know, the star of the basketball team and that every teacher was going to pass me. And I had one teacher who I, who I thanked to this very day that said, no, you're not coming to class. I can't pass you. And I had to go to summer school. And I went to summer school here in L.A. instead of going back to Arizona State and messed around here because I was home and I was partying and having a good time in the summer. And when I got back to school, they said, you're academically ineligible for the first semester of the season, which would have took me till December. So I would end up missing probably you know, about 10 games or so, 10 to 14 games. And my, I came home because I said to myself, if they're not going to let me play, I'm going to just go ahead and go in the draft. And I came home and this was a great story. I came home and I, my mom was, you know, so happy to see me. I came home for the weekend and I told my mom, you know, the next day I said, Mom, I, I think I'm going to just stay here. I'm going to uh, drop out of school and wait for the draft. And my mom looked at me and she said, so where are you going to stay? I said, well, I'm going to stay here at home, you know, with you. She said, no, you're not staying here. You're not going to quit. You know, no son of mine is going to quit. So what you're going to do is take your butt back to school. You're going to go to your classes. You're going to apologize to your teachers and you're going to learn. And that was a great lesson for me, you know, never quitting, number one. And I went back to school. I was eligible for the second semester, and I decided to just focus on my school. And, uh, you know, Coach Wilk wasn't too happy about that. I, I wanted to sit out the whole year and focus on my grades and get my grades in order so I have a chance to graduate. 
And uh, mm-hmm. so I ended up sitting out that whole year, which was going to be my junior year. So when I came back the right. next year was my junior year eligibility while my senior year in school. That's right. And then, then the, well, mother knows best, right? So, so yeah, mother, you, you had to focus on Tough love, you know, that tough love that I had to, uh, had to endure at that particular time. Yeah, but you had a spectacular, uh, the, the, your third year, you know, when you came back after that, after sitting out one season, spectacular yeah. year, you, your statistics were way up there. Um, what, what, what were the scouts telling you? What were the NBA uh, scouts telling you? Which team wanted to get you? I mean, eventually San Diego picked you, but who were the teams who worked you out and said, hey, we're going to pick you if you're available? Well, you know what? They didn't have workouts then. You, you didn't work out for teams like they do now. Uh, I just had teams that would come and they would watch me, you know, play against my other teammates because the season was over. So we would just play just to stay in shape. And, uh, and I had teams that would come and play. And the one day that I decided not to play, Bob Weinhauer was the coach of our team at that time. And he said, no, I think you should play today. And I said, coach, I've been playing every day since the season's been over. I said, I just need a chance to rest. I was averaging 36, 37 minutes a game. You know, a college game is only 40. So I was almost playing every minute of the game. And he said, you need to, you need to play today. I said, no, I think I'm arrested. He said, no, I think you should play. And I finally asked him, I said, coach, what's going on? What's up? He said, well, uh, there's some guys here to see you that you, you, you need to play so they can see you. And lo and behold, I go out on the court to play, and Jerry West shows up in the stands along with uh, Rudy Russo, who was one of the Lakers scouts at the time, and Bill Sherman. They were all sitting in the stands watching me play. And on that particular day, which was great, Dennis Johnson, the late great Dennis Johnson, who played for the Phoenix Suns, he decided he, he was coming to play with us that day. So I was matched up against DJ the whole day. And I had watched DJ. I went to Phoenix Suns games. He's an L.A. guy. So I got a chance to watch him play, you know, for the Suns. So I studied him. And I, I did really well against him that day. And, uh, and you know, Jerry West and those guys, they got up and left before the last game. We, we played like five or six games. And they got up and left. And uh, Dennis Johnson in the locker room, we were all showering, getting ready. And he asked me the question, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know yet. You know, I don't know if I'm going to go pro or you know, at least play one more year of college basketball. And DJ looked at me and he said, well, you're definitely ready for the NBA. And that kind of helped me, you know, make up my mind to go pro that year. And I, and they were still all telling me that I was going to be a top five pick. So uh, I ended up going pro that year. That's right. Guys. What was there a chance that DJ said, um, you know, I'm going to the Celtics, join me there. No, there was no chance of that. I thought DJ was going to be with the Phoenix Suns for for a few more years, but I got to give Boston credit. You know, the uh, as you guys know, James Tony was the Boston Strangler back in the day. You know, for Philadelphia, Andrew he Tony. was killing Boston. And yeah. We got yeah, and, yeah, Andrew Tony. That's right. I'm sorry, Andrew yeah. Tony was just a monster at that yeah. two position. And then when they got DJ, Andrew Tony was the uh, was uh, getting shut down. DJ's defense was unbelievable. And that enabled the Celtics to be able to get past uh, past Philadelphia. So uh, I was happy to see DJ go to Boston to win a championship. And then uh, obviously I was happy, obviously, to get drafted and, uh, and be in the NBA. And, and, and all Boston had to give up was Rick Roby, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was unbelievable. I, I couldn't genius. believe right why Phoenix, yeah, either, either Red was a genius or Phoenix was just plain stupid. It was one of the two. <laughs> uh, or, or a little bit of both. <laughs> or a little bit of both because DJ was an all-star. I mean, he was a great player. And 
Phoenix yeah. at that time right. had a heck of a court. You know, they had a heck of a team. They had Avin Adams. You know, they had DJ and Walter, the Greyhound, you know, Davis mm-hmm. in the backcourt. I mean, they had a real good backcourt. So I was a little surprised at that trade. But obviously, Red had something up his sleeve, and he was able to pull off a, a great trade for the Celtics. As always, right, right. as always. Yeah, no, Coach Byron, <laughs> yeah, I just got to ask you. Even though I'm a Celtics fan, I also read books about the Lakers. So I read uh, Magic Johnson's autobiography, My Life, back in 92. And there was a chat. There was a chapter there. He he said that when you first joined the Lakers, they didn't like you because the uh, the Lakers had to trade Norm Nixon, Norm. whom everybody liked, uh, for you. Right. So, yeah, they, they were really upset that Norm uh, uh, had to leave, and they kind of took it out on you. Um, is that accurate? That's real accurate. You know, my, my first week of practice, those guys, uh, Magic Johnson and Michael Cooper, were throwing elbows and pushing and shoving and hitting me with cheap shots. And uh, it, it took me about a week. The, the good thing about being, being home in L.A. is I would go home after practice and all my buddies that I grew up with would be around. And they would always ask me, how's practice going? I was like, man, these dudes, you know, they they uh, you know, they elbowing me and they're doing all this stuff. And my boys, being my boys, was like, man, you got to knock one of their asses out. That's all you got to do. And I said, no, nah, I can't do that. I understand why they're mad. But, you know, it came a time after about a week or so where me and Coop kind of squared off, and I said, the next elbow one of y'all throw is going to be on. I said, I'm, I'm done with this, you know. And that's when they told me that I earned my stripes, that they wanted to see if I was tough enough. And, uh, you know, they said I passed all the tests with flying colors. So it was, it was just a test to see if I could be one of the guys and Magic told me later on that I had passed. And then after that, they accepted me with open arms. And it was a uh, three musketeers, me, Cooper, and Magic. We hung out, you know, everywhere and did everything together for the next, I don't know, eight or nine years. Uh-huh. Who was the first guy who sort of took you under your wing when you were in the Lakers? You know what? No, nobody, really. I mean, well, no, I, I'll take that back. As we went on, you know, Magic started to take me under his wing, him and Cooper. You know, they started to show me the ropes. They started talking to me about the game. They started talking to me about little things, little tricks of the trade that you that you can do. Um, and, and both of those guys were you know, instrumental in me becoming, you know, the player that I ended up being. Uh, they were both very positive. They were always in, encouraging me. Uh, you know, I learned a lot on the defensive end from Cooper, who's to me still one of the greatest defensive players I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. learned a lot from Magic, obviously, is just learning how to be a professional and come out and be ready every single game. So both of those guys kind of took me under their wing and taught me a lot about the game of basketball. You, What's Kareem you know when, Abdul-Jabbar when, already? I, I'm sorry, Charlie. I just get, no, get no go ahead. Go ahead, Noel. Yeah, was, yeah. was Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at the time, uh, as in he was the, uh, the uh, what you call the mentor to everybody. And then how great was Kareem when you were there? You know what? Kareem, when I got there, was 36 years old. Everybody said he was pretty much done, which he wasn't. Obviously, the Celtics contested that. You know, at 37, he's still the oldest player ever to win an MVP. And uh, after that Memorial Day massacre, I think he averaged something like 37 points, 17 rebounds. So, you know, obviously, he still had a lot left in the tank. But uh, Kareem was more of a quiet guy. And, And it's funny because I sit next to him for six years. In the first year or so, he really didn't talk to me a whole lot. You know, I mean, it, it was just kind of like, how you doing, Rook? You know, give me, give me some water, Rook. You know, go do this, Rook. You know, uh, but after that, we, we uh, formed an unbelievable relationship, an unbelievable friendship. 
Uh, even to this day, you know, I talk to Cap a lot. I, I talk to Coop a lot. I talk to Magic. I talk to James. I mean, we still are a very close-knit bunch of guys. You know, A.C. Green is the uh, godfather of my daughter. You know, I mean, we, we are very still close as a team. Uh, but Kareem was one of those guys that, you know, he, he could have played two or three more years if he really wanted to because he was such, number one, in such phenomenal shape because of his martial arts and the yoga that he was doing. I never heard of yoga until I saw Kareem doing it, you know, for all those years. But it kept him limber and it kept him in great shape. And he was able to just shoot that sky hook against anybody. And to me, to this day, I, I still say, I, you know, and I have no disrespect for Michael Jordan because I love MJ. He was unbelievable. But Kareem, to me, is the greatest player that ever played. Oh, sorry. I don't get any arguments here either. Yeah. On behalf of Boston, we apologize for the Memorial Day massacre. <laughs> That's all right. All you guys did was wake us up. Did you just woke us up. You know, we had we'd, like to, we'd like to thank you. Uh, coach, we'd like to thank them for doing that. And then, you know, we, yeah, we'll yeah they ended up winning Absolutely. the series. We, we regret on. that. We regret that. We apologize. No, but I want to I pick, I pick your brain. <laughs> yeah, coach. I, I wanted to, to just see your mindset. You you come in, you get drafted by the Clippers. You're traded uh, to the Lakers for one of the favorite guys, Norm Nixon. And you're mm -hmm. this. It's a championship team with a bunch of future Hall of Famers on it. And you're a confident yeah. guy. We know that. But when you you enter there, you're the youngest guy. They call you Baby B, and and they're hitting you in practice and all of that. What's in What's in your mind when you go home at night? You know, you're you're, you're lying in your bed and you're thinking, you know, what, what have I gotten myself into? Is, was there a lot of pressure to produce immediately? Not really. I, I didn't think so. You know, I, I think uh, you know Jerry West. He, it, it was a lot of pressure on him because he made the deal. But the thing that made me feel so much better is that when Jerry West called me into his office and he told me about. All, this, all the, the flack he was getting about making this deal. And, you know, everybody was telling him that he was crazy. He was starting to lose his touch. You know, everybody said he was a genius as far as, you know, draft picks and trades, but they thought he really messed this one up. And he told me right to my face sitting in his office that, listen, we're going to win more championships with you than we would ever want with Noah. And I felt pressure from him because of the fact that he made that deal. So I never wanted to let him down. Uh, I wanted to go out there and play you know, the best I could. So with the guys giving me the treatment that they were giving me, all I kept thinking about was that you know what they're gonna they're gonna see that I'm you know that I'm I'm made for this you know that I'm ready for this and uh, I'm not gonna let them down. I'm definitely not gonna let Jerry West down. I'm definitely not gonna let myself down. So I you know that I mean I put more pressure on myself than anybody could put on me. But when Jerry made that statement to me, I felt that I was obligated to make sure that he was proven right. And it was great to see sports reporters, you know, a couple of years later saying, you know what, you know, we were wrong. Jerry West knows exactly what he's doing. We'll never question him again. So that made me feel good. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay. When, when you were at the – when you entered the, the NBA uh, with the Lakers, so you guys play and then you go to the finals immediately. And, uh, well, it's, it's, it doesn't finals. turn out – Yeah, it, it doesn't turn out the way <laughs> that you would want it, that we would want it, I guess, right. you and I. Uh, these other two are, you know, they're they're, they're going to go back in time and be very happy about 1984. There were there, yeah, there were some crazy things that happened, you know, a bad pass here and there, and and you know, just just just, and then it goes out, it goes out to a game seven and all of that. But but uh, so how about uh, but the whole Celtics Lakers rivalry? I mean, it had been going on since the 60s. We know that, but you enter that that scenario 
what are the guys telling you? What's Jerry West telling you about this? Uh, you know, the other, the other more senior players. Uh, do you suddenly hate the Celtics already? Are you conditioned to just not like these guys in green? What was that relationship uh, with, with the green guys? Well, I, I didn't like them. I didn't like them before I got to the Lakers. So, I mean, getting to the Lakers <laughs> just made it that much more. You know, I mean, if you if you are a big Lakers fan, you are going to be a Celtic fan. You know, it's just simple as that. So, when I got to the Lakers, I was already, already had a dislike for the Celtics, and then playing them a couple of times in preseason, and then playing them in the regular season, you know, that 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 hatred grew even more fonder because I could see the intensity that both teams have for each other and the hate that we have for each other. So it was, you know what, it was a great rivalry. When you look back now, uh, the thing that I tell people now is that, you know, when I was out of the game as far as playing and I got into coaching, uh, the first time I went to Boston to coach against the Celtics when I was with Jersey, uh, Cedric Maxwell uh, did all the interviews of every coach that came into town. And we had a guy named Bobby Marks, who was our PR guy, who came up to me, you know, in the locker room and said, Coach, uh, Cedric Maxwell wants to do an interview with, with you. And I told Bobby, I said, well, go tell him. I said, hell no. I'm not talking to him. <laughs> but, and, and Bobby, Bobby started laughing like I was joking. And I wasn't laughing, you know. And he looked at me and said, no, really, Coach? I said, no, really. I'm not talking to him. And I didn't talk to him <laughs> the first two times we went. The next year, we have to go back to Boston, and Bobby's like, Coach, please, every coach in the league does this. You know, they talked to Cedric Maxwell on the radio. <laughs> and I finally told him, all right, I would do it. And I remember Cedric walking in the locker room to interview me, and Cedric was just a you know, happy-go-lucky guy. He was like, hey, what's up, B? And I was looking at him like, yeah, what's up? You know, I, I had a mean look on my face. <laughs> I didn't want to really talk to him. And, I mean, 10 minutes after the conversation or the interview was over, we were in there laughing and giggling and having a good time. And I realized then that, you know what, they were just like us. When I say just like us, I mean, it was all about winning. They wouldn't, they, they didn't care about individual goals. They wanted to win championships, just uh -huh. like we did. They just did it in a right. different style. So I understood then, you know, the rivalry and I had a lot more respect for him. Just like when I met Danny Ainge, who I hated you know, tremendously playing against. Uh, met him outside of basketball and talked to him and found out he's a good guy. Larry Bird, same thing. You know, Kevin McHale, when he was coaching Houston and I was coaching, uh, had lost one of his kids. And I went up to him before the game and told him, you know, my condolences with you and the family, Kevin. You know, I just I feel for you. And he gave me a big hug. And and I realized that, again, you know, we, we, we had a lot in common. You know, and, and most great teams, when you have that type of rivalry, you end up finding out that you're a real – you're a whole lot more alike than you think. And that's what I ended up finding out about, it, about the Celtics. And, uh, you know, great guys, great team. It made for the great rivalry. I don't think today you'll see any rivalries like that ever again yeah, because no, no, these no, kids, no. today they all play together on these AAU teams. We didn't play against those guys until we played against them in, you know, regular season and finals. We didn't grow up playing, you know, ball with them. So I, I think that's why the rivalry was so great between the Lakers and the Celtics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got any Danny Ainge stories, Coach, that you can share with us? Because yeah, you were you were up against each other for years, so I'm sure you got some Danny Ainge stories to share with us. Well, I got a really good one that Magic uh, he, he was involved in this one. So we're playing Boston, and I'm a rookie, and Danny is uh, you know guarding me. I'm guarding Danny, and we're we're both kind of elbowing each other and just going at each other. And Magic Magic tells me he says. Baby B, we're going to call this play 52 for you. When you catch it, 
Danny's going to be trailing you. He said, just take one dribble. He said, let him catch up to you. He's going to be right on your left side. He said, I want you to go up to shoot it, but when you go up, put your left elbow out, and you're going to hit it right in the throat. And I said, Buck, <laughs> you know, we, we call him Magic Johnson. I said, Buck, but that's going to be an offensive foul. He said, no, it won't. Just, just do it. Just do it, baby. I guarantee you. So I go around the pick. I catch it. I take one dribble. I jump up in there, and I just, bam, hit Danny right under his chin. Shoot it off the glass. Make the bucket. I hear the referee blow the whistle. I turn around. The referee goes, count it. And Danny Ainge is over there like, this is in the media. He's over there screaming and yelling at the referee. And Magic Johnson, as you guys know how animated he is, you know, I told you, I told you he was going to call a foul on the So, Magic, anything you say, my man, I got you. I'm going to do it. So that was one of my, my, my good Danny Ainge stories. I got a good elbow in on him, and I got an one and made the free throw. Again. All right, you have to play Larry yeah. Bird on a switch every now and then. So what was it like when you switched on Larry Bird? What was going through your mind when he had the ball? Just making, just hoping he missed, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, Larry Legend was uh, one of the baddest dudes uh, that I've ever seen play the game. But I'll tell you what, he was one of the biggest trash talkers on the basketball court. Mm -hmm. So every time I did switch out on him and I jumped to try to block his shot and he would shoot it, he, he told me one time, he said, Scott, you jump high, but not that high. You know, so, I mean, he was just one of those guys that suddenly just talked a lot of smack. And, uh, right, man, right. he was, you know, Larry, Larry was an unbelievable basketball player. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. smart. To Sid, Sid you have, I know yeah. you have a question, Sid. Yeah. No, I just want to ask about the fans in Boston because I, have, I also read a lot of stories about how the, uh, the fire alarm in your hotel would suddenly go on in the middle of the night. Whenever, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, no like hot that. water your, in the locker room. Your luggage would go no missing in the airport. Uh, they, no AC. Yeah, they the gave us space towels for big towels to go off. I mean, they, they were terrible. But you know, uh, we would play in we would play in Boston, and you would get fire alarms going off at two in the morning, calling everybody down to the lobby. You get down to the lobby, they say false alarm. You go back upstairs. You get in the bed. You know, forty five minutes later, another fire alarm goes off. You go back down. False alarm. I remember, I remember that because the third fire alarm that went off, I said, "Shit, I'm gonna just burn up because I'm not getting back up and going downstairs because I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore." <laughs> then, also, had fans they would call your room and they would be nice for like five seconds. Hey, Mr. Scott, how you doing? Uh, hope you guys win tomorrow. Do you have any tickets? No, I don't have any tickets. You're gonna get your ass kicked by the Celtics, click, and they hang up. You know, I mean, it, it, and that was ongoing <laughs> as well. I mean, that's crazy. It was, it was crazy. You, you know, like you mentioned, Charlie, you know, they had four showers in the locker room. Two didn't work. The other two, no hot water. Uh, they gave us face towels to dry off with. I mean, they, they were just terrible. And Pat Riley, you know, being as classy as he is, we, we, we used to tell Riles, when they come to L.A., do the same thing to them. And Riles was like, no, 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 we're not doing that. You know, so, uh, yeah, Boston went through every trick in the book. Uh, during the finals one year, it was about 107 degrees on the floor. They had nailed the windows shut in the locker room so we couldn't lift them up and get in the air. So they were terrible. They were terrible. They were, they were terrible sportsmen. Their sportsmanship was awful. So no one said, yeah, you guys yeah. should be ashamed of yourself. Home teams do that. We know the Philippines has experienced that as well in international competitions when the home team starts doing some home cooking. But 
You know, that, that's how basketball is. Yeah, yeah, but but you, you played the Celtics three times in, in the finals. Of course, uh, you, you were able to get your revenge in 85. Uh, then you beat them again in 87. But but were, are those the most memorable finals uh, series that, that you played in, the, the Celtics ones? For me, it is, yeah, uh, without a doubt. I mean, we, we went to the finals a number of years, but playing the Celtics was the most memorable, you know, championship series that I, that I can remember. Uh, even the ones we lost my rookie year when we lost that one, it was such a great series. And, you know, Kevin McHale closed line and, you know, Kirk Grant has really changed that series around because all of a sudden you know, we, we started thinking about trying to get them back instead of playing the game of basketball. And they just kept playing. Uh, and then the next year beating them. And then, you know, like you said, beating them again in 87, those three series are three series that I'll never forget. Yeah. Because I think both teams are, are two of the greatest teams that ever played a game. If you look at the Celtics, you know, Robert Parrish, Kevin McHale, DJ, you know, Larry Bird, you know, Danny Ainge. I mean, you got three Hall of Famers, you know, on that team. You look at our yeah. team with Kareem and Magic, James, and myself, and, and AC Green. I mean, it, it's just Hall of Famers all over the place. So I, I think just going back is the most fond memories I have of playing in those series against the Celtics. I have to ask you, who's your oh, favorite? A, uh, who's sorry, your sorry. favorite yeah, Boston sorry, Celtic? And when I say favorite, okay. I mean, who did you hate the most? Well, I hated Danny the most, but my favorite was Larry. You know, because I, I just never seen a, a white boy that could play like that and talk trash like a black guy. He he was just he was just unbelievable. And uh, you know, it, it, it's funny because if, if you if you go to the barber shops here in Inglewood or in LA, you know, and you talk about basketball, you know, Larry Larry Bird's name come up, and all 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 the brothers in the in the barbershop will say, "Man, that white boy is bad." You know, and Larry Bird was a bad dude. He was just he was just a hell of a basketball player. So he was my favorite Celtic to watch, you know, especially when we weren't playing against him. But obviously I hated Danny Ainge the most. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm gonna ask you a question. I asked AC Green when he was here, Coach Byron. Uh, talk about the uh, the Ralph Sampson shot. That 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 took you out. This is supposed oh. to be your year, Ralph Sampson took you out. So talk about that. Volleyball. Yeah, that that was a hard series, you know, because we uh, we were trying to get back to the to the finals to try to go back to back that year, and I really think we took the, the Houston Rockets for granted. You know, we just thought that they were just going to lay down and just, I guess, give us the win, uh, give us a series, and they came to play. You know, they 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 uh, split in LA and then they went to Houston and beat us both times in Houston, and then we we decided game four, you know, that we better get serious. And they end up, you know, winning that. Uh, and then the Ralph Sampson shot, you know, that was, to me, that was kind of fitting, you know, because the way we played, the way they played that whole series, it was fitting that we would lose that way to that team. Uh, I didn't, I don't think to this day they were a better basketball team than us. But at that point, I, I don't think we were hungry anymore. We had won the championship, you know, and we were looking forward to getting back. But I think we lost a little bit of that hunger um, to, to mm -hmm. get back there. And, and we got what we deserved. Well, so we're, we're here, guys, uh, everyone, we're talking to Coach Byron Scott about his uh, famed Laker career right now. We're halfway through the show. We'd like to remind everyone that we're part of the Globally Ballin' Network. And the Globally Ballin' Network has a show called Who the Heck Are We? Their latest episode, 72, with Rico Meyerhofer, uh, former PBA Rookie of the Year 2010. So catch that latest episode. It's online right now. Globally Ballin' Network. Watch the shows. Read the articles and the video projects. Watch them all. All the shows. Globallyballin.com is the website.
and the Eternity of Basketball on YouTube and Spotify. Please follow all our episodes, watch them, listen to them anytime, anywhere. And then the most popular episodes on Spotify, Usapan Smoke and Joe. And then Atoy Ko, Pido Horenzo, Jojo Lastimosa, Freddy Hubalde. Yan ang mga top five episodes for that. And then subscribe to our channel, the, the Globally Ballin' YouTube channel for all the past episodes of the Eternity of Basketball. And check out Globally Ballin' Southeast Asia on Facebook for snippets of all the shows on the Globally Ballin' Network. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. We're back here in episode 105 with Coach Byron Scott. And, you know, Coach Byron, um, what a famed NBA career you had. But, you know, your career... Goes much goes on much longer after that. There was a coaching, you know, a long coaching uh, career as well. You, you got into broadcasting. You're doing so many things right now. But I you know uh, Sid prepared a a bunch of photos that we're going to show. Okay, so let's let's go down memory lane as we look at these photos and and let's let's talk about whatever you remember, whatever you want to share. Like this one. Look at this. This is a young young uh, Byron Scott uh, hitting a jumper. And you're wearing yeah. number eleven right there, which yeah. is, I'm not used to that. I like the number four behind yeah. you. I thought it was Isaiah. Number eleven. <laughs> Yeah, it looks like Isaiah. <laughs> no, Isaiah didn't jump that high. Isaiah didn't jump that high. So, <laughs> yeah. I, what do you, what do you remember guys, from this? Number, yeah, I wore number 11 from the from elementary school to college because of Bob McAdoo. I was a big Bob McAdoo fan. So wow, okay. when I get to the Lakers, Bob McAdoo is on the team with number 11. That's why I switched to number four. Um, I remember the shot because okay. this is one of my, my patent jump shots. Uh, at Arizona State, you know, at our UA, UA Center, um, you know, rookie year, just, you know, just showing my hops and my, my leaping ability, just getting up and over the young man. And, you know, hopefully, I can't remember if I made it or not, but I remember the shot. You probably made it. Yeah. Once once you <laughs> got up did. like that, you probably made it. Yeah, you probably did. And they love the shorts. Yeah. You know, somebody commented, look at the shorts. <laughs> yeah. no, can I just they, say that they, looks they, like Bob McAdoo. That looks like a Bob McAdoo jump shot, except that it's prettier. Oh, yeah. Can I say that? You gotta be yeah. higher up. You gotta, you gotta be higher up. Bob Bagadu's like from behind the head, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mine's a lot prettier than Dudu's. Uh, and that's what we used to call Bob Bagadu. Dudu. Dudu. And, uh, but Dudu was a, a great guy. You know, I loved him when I played with the Lakers. And I told him uh, at the end of the year that, you know, I used to wear number 11. I was a big fan. I was a big Bagadu fan. His, his line back to me wasn't, oh, really? Thank you. It was like, of course you were. I was a bad mother, you know what? I was like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that, that, well, guy, sure. that guy that was very confident. Bob, Bob, yeah, well, I'm Bob, sure, sure you're thrilled Bob, Bob yeah, McAdoo yeah. finally got, got his due and he was named to the top 75. I felt he belonged there from the start. Absolutely. Absolutely. He was one of the greatest centers uh back in his heyday. Uh you know, everybody had trouble guarding Bob McAdoo that played center position in the NBA at that time because in the NBA at that time you didn't leave the paint if you were seven feet. And McAdoo was 6'11", right. shooting 20-footers. It was averaging right. 37 points a game. So, yeah, yeah I, I am so happy for him that he finally got his chest good. I agree. Yeah. He could play today, the way he played yeah. back then. Yeah. That's what yeah, the big guys do now. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. He, he would fit in perfect with the game today, no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's check out the next photo. 
Who was your who was the your closest uh, teammate on the Sun Devils? Uh, I mean, was it among the guys that that you you talked about? Alton, Pat Lever, Kirk Nymphius, all these guys. Alton Lister was my closest teammate. Right. You know, List was a guy that, uh, that I hung out with the most, and and I and I and I think to this day, List hung out with me because I always had money, and he was always needing gas, so he was always <laughs> trying to get me. Ten dollars to put in his gas tank. I think that's why he hung out with me so much. But that was my buddy, and uh, obviously on the floor he set a lot of screens for me. So uh, Alton Lister was my buddy back in the day. Yeah, I did tell you the other night that his team, the team that he coaches for as an assistant here in the Philippines, just won the championship last week uh, here in the PBA. So yeah, he's, he's a champion assistant coach. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah, congratulations. Okay, well here's the '87 yeah. team. Uh, with with Wes Matthews, who played in the Philippines a couple of yeah. years after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ninety-one. I still look at this, and I have that picture, matter of fact, on my wall in my office right there. And I still think that '87 team might be the greatest team that ever played the game of basketball. Um, just looking at it right now. Just so many. Excuse me. No, I'm just looking at it right now. I just forgot how big Mitch Kupchak was. That's not yeah, Kupchak. That's Mike Schmerk. Yeah, was, oh, sorry. Yeah, so no wonder. No wonder it's Mike Schmerk. Yeah, it's Mike Schmerk. Yeah. That is Mike Schmerk. And I, I'm going to tell you something. Mike Schmerk, if it wasn't for Michael Thompson being the backup center, Mike Schmerk would have been he, – he would have played on a lot of other teams. Very skilled, uh, unbelievable body and unbelievable uh, athleticism for a seven-footer. Uh, he just happened to be put on a team where you had Kareem and Michael Thompson, yeah. and he just didn't get the chance to play a guy I'd like to talk about on yeah. that squad is, is Kurt Rambis. Tell us about Kurt Rambis because he was, you know, they, they called him Clark Kent, not Superman. He had his glasses <laughs> on. You know, he, he didn't wear goggles. He wore glasses during the games and he was a hard worker right. and all of that. Lost his, right. lost his spart, starting spot to AC Green when AC came in. But he still worked every night, right? Kurt Rambis was unbelievable. Kurt was uh, you know, a great rebounder, great defender. Uh, you know, he brought his hard hat every single night to the game. And the thing that he did better than anybody is he got the ball out of the net with the Magic Johnson so we could run our break faster than anybody I've ever seen. The ball never hit the floor. And he, and he took a lot of pride in that. And, uh, you know, a, a good Kurt Rambis story, I was, we had a practice one day and Rouse kind of split up the team. So I'm, I'm against Kurt and I'm chasing, I don't know who it was, off these picks and Kurt is setting these picks and knocking the crap out of me. And I said, Rambo, quit setting them damn illegal picks. And he didn't say anything. He just looked at me and smiled. So we keep running the play. I run into another pick. And I said, Rambo, you said another pick like that, man. This, we, we're going to be fighting. He said, listen, those are the same picks I set for you in the game. And I stopped. I said, okay, you know what? You can keep setting those picks. It's okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. That frees you up for your jumper. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, he, he's one of those tough guys, but he's a, he's a, you know, he was a trooper. He was a great teammate uh, and just an unbelievable person. Two, okay. two great yeah. personalities on that. Oh, see, mm. Go ahead, Sid. Go ahead, Sid. No, no, I was going to ask, um, Byron, what was it like playing for Pat Riley? You know, I've also read all these stories about, you know, how controlling he is, how demanding he is in, in practices, all the mind games he used to play with his uh, players. But, yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear it from you, your personal experience. Yeah, all that stuff you heard is true. I mean, Rouse was a, uh, you know, he, he was a taskmaster, man. He, he made us practice, you know, two, three hours a day. Uh, full out going against each other up and down the floor. Uh, we, we, we hated practice as much as we loved to play basketball. We, we couldn't wait to play games because games was easy. 
compared to our practices. Uh, you know, we, we hated the fact that we had a game on Monday and we didn't have another game till Friday. That means we got three days of practice, and that means, you know, we're going to be killing each other in practice. But, you know, he, he played he played games with you as far as your mind, but I remember him telling me, he said, uh, he said, you're the only one that I can that, that I can go after and you don't you don't give me a response. So I would never, you know, inside I'm thinking I'm a killing. You know, I, I used to tell myself <laughs> one day I'm gonna sit in the street uh, and I'm gonna beat the crap out of him. But you know, he could never figure me out. That's what he used to tell me. So I could never I could I could never figure you out back then. I couldn't know if you were mad at me or not. You just never showed any emotion. You never changed your, your your look. So I told him, no, there was many a days where I wanted to beat the shit out you, Rouse. Don't don't worry. But uh, <laughs> great coach, you know, one of the greatest coaches I've ever had, one of the greatest coaches in the NBA. And he got the best out of me. That's the one thing I would say about Pat Riley. He pushed you uh, so hard that he got the best out of you. He made everybody on our team a better basketball player. And that's all you can ask for him from a coach. All right. And then, well, I'm actually looking at the photo, and I, I, I mentioned West Matthews played here a couple of years after this. So did Billy Thompson. He played as an import oh, yeah. in the oh, yeah. PBA yeah. Yeah. as yeah, well. Yeah, so right. You got yeah. two, two uh, Philippine uh, PBA players there, right, on, in that photo. But tell hey, us Dexter about Dr. Jerry Dexter Bush. Dexter is watching, by the way. Oh, Dexter Schaus is watching. Your friend Dexter Schaus is watching. Dexter, Dexter, yeah. Dexter, man, I'll tell you, me and Dexter had a lot of fun playing the game. He was a, he was a prankster, too, but Dexter had game, man. I mean – uh, mm-hmm. You know, the day he walked at ASU and I got on campus to, to, to play, you know, pickup games and everything, I fell in love with Dexter. He was such a great person. And uh, I'm glad you're doing well, Dean, man. I, you know, yeah, he, was a, he was a star over here in the Philippines. Yeah, he was a star yeah, he, here when he played here. Well, well, yeah, I, I, wanted to ask about, I, I wanted to ask about Dr. Jerry Buss because, you know, everybody mm-hmm. talks about Dr. Buss and how he made the Lakers into what they are now, especially during your era and all of that. And until he passed away, and then the legacy is being carried on by his daughter now. But, but what kind of an owner was he? What kind of relationship did you have with him? Best owner in sports. Uh, I had a great relationship with Dr. Buss. He treated me just like he treated Magic and everybody else. And, and I think that's the thing that separates him from most owners is uh, his, his, his star players to the, to, the, to the Wesley Matthews, he treated all alike. You know, uh, right. Dr. Buss was one of the best people I've ever been around. He was an innovator. Uh, you know, he thought about cheerleaders, bring them into the game. He shot, he, he, yeah, Laker know, girls, baby. Laker <laughs> girls. He brought all the actors and actresses to the game because he was given, you know, he wanted them to see a mm-hmm. show. Uh, he was the first person here, especially in LA, to have prime ticket, which was another uh, there you are, Jack. to see home game. Perfect. And, uh, Jack was you know, obviously one of our greatest fans, but Dr. Buss was uh, one of the most creative owners, one of the greatest minds in all of sports. And, uh, you know, a great story about Dr. Buss. I got fired from New Orleans, and Dr. Buss was one of the first guys to call me. And, I mean, it probably was two hours after I got fired. And he asked me what the hell was going on, what, what are they doing, what are they thinking. And he said, so when are you coming back home? I said, well, my son's in school, so I can't come back home until my youngest son finishes school. He said, well, when school's over and you come back to L.A., call me. I want you to come to a game and sit in the box with me. I said, okay, Doc. And I, call, I go back home two weeks later. I call Dr. Buss, go to a game, sitting in the box with him. We're having a great time talking and everything. Uh, the next day, it's in the papers that I'm after Phil Jackson's job, you know, because they see me sitting in the box. With <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Like, man, I just got here because a friend called me, somebody who I respect, asked me to come to a game. And, and so he calls me again a few days later and said, what are you doing next week? I want you to come to another game, sit down with me. And I said, Dr. Buss. 
I said, you know what? Everybody thinks that I'm there trying to steal Phil's job and all that. I said, so I don't, I said, you don't need that. I don't need that. I said, so I'm going to decline on coming to the game and sitting in the box with you. I'll sit in the stands. And he said, you know, you know, fuck the papers. I don't care what they say. I want you to sit in the box with me. I said, no, Doc, I, I don't think neither <laughs> one of us needs especially me. I'm not trying to steal anybody's job. I'm just here trying to enjoy, you know, the, the purple and gold. But he was truly one of the greatest people I've ever been around and one of the most giving as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. You got to love the high socks and the short shorts in this photo and the shades. Yeah. You, had a, you had a bunch of those yeah, kinds yeah, of photos. Yeah. Well, you had the one on the boat when you guys were supposed to be fishing or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. So, so those, those yeah. are some great photos yeah. from the Showtime era. Of course, Jack Jack is the face of, of the Lakers as far as the fans, fans are concerned. But, of course, you had Diane Cannon, Andy Garcia, Sean Penn, yeah. Penny Marshall. Yeah. You know, you name it. They were all there, and they, they, they'd be shown on TV all yeah. the time. So it must have been really great to be around all these people uh, you know, and, and meet, meeting all of your favorite Hollywood stars as well. Oh, it was, it was fantastic. Uh, even to this day, I go to the games. The last game I went to, I went to their uh, final preseason game. I went to a regular season mm -hmm. game. I went to the pre preseason game against Golden State and uh, ran into Diane and gave her a big hug. And then I saw Andy as well, and me and him talked. And Andy's a big golfer, so he gave me his number. He said, big golfer, so we could play some golf together. So those relationships that you just talked about, Charlie, of all the people that used to come to the game, I still see those people and talk to those people. And, uh, they're still great, you know, great Laker yeah. fans, and they still love the Lakers. And it, it's fun to still be connected to a lot of them. So, uh, you know, it, it's a big family. There's no doubt about it. So I, that's what I love about yeah, the nation is just And you guys, very you guys were as big a stars as they, as they are. I mean, you know, you, because you guys were celebrities too. You're yeah. in Hollywood. You're playing Showtime. Yeah. So you were like they, like, like those guys. You know, Jack Nicholson's a star. So is Byron Scott. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was great. Like I said, Denzel and all those guys who come to the games. It, it was great to to see guys that came to watch you do what you do. You know, because we go to movie theaters and all that stuff to watch them do what they do. But uh, like you said, out here in LA, you know, we're we're like movie stars as well. You know, so uh, yeah. it, it was it was pretty cool. It was kind of that give and take, you know, scenario. But it was really really <laughs> cool to play in that era. Uh, with the guys that I played with and the fans that we had, the fan base that we had, it was unbelievable. Like, like I said, I, you 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 don't you don't really um, really get a chance to you know sit back and enjoy it while you're in it. You know that's the one thing while you're in it you don't get a chance to enjoy it. But when you're done, you get a chance to kind of reminisce and think about it and, and see how wonderful it was and what a great time we had. And how many fans we touched as well. So um, right. that, that 80s era was special. It was. It really, really was so much, so many great players. So we look at the, here's the one that you guys are fishing on, on that boat. And uh, yeah. it's just crazy, you know, <laughs> to see these these players all in those different poses. There's one, you're in the, you guys are in the classroom. What's Rambus doing? What's Rambus yeah, doing? Rambus is, he's eating a fish. Uh, he's he's, he's looking talking down to a fish. Yeah, you know, Kirk, he, he's got to be different. He's looking down the mouth of a shark. So. <laughs> uh, you know, every, they, they just told us to just do something, you know. So we grab, you, you can see Magic and Kareem, they grab the pole, and I'm sitting there with Gary Vitti as we were talking when it was like, all right, we're about to take the picture. And we just, I'm just holding something, and we turn and look at the camera, and take a picture, and went back to doing what we was doing. But it, it was just a lot of fun, just being us and having a good time with each other. Right, right, really glamorous that that theme of the '80s. What, what's the next photo, Cluds? Let's check it out. Let's go through. All of that. Oh, here, Greg, here you go. There's, Greg, there's the, there's the, Greg, there's the Celtics. 
Great. Greg, tight block your shot. No way, man. Yeah, no yeah. Way. He got him. He got him. No, 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 no. No, uh, no see, that, that went in. I'm going to tell you that. I remember that one. That went in <laughs> off the glass. And then I see this on Sports Illustrated. I thought that was pretty cool. You know, running gun because we really just kind of ran, ran through in the first two games. And then after that, it was a series, obviously, as you guys know. But yeah, that was a uh, a great a great shot and uh, something that I've, I've signed a ton of those you know over the years. People uh-huh. uh, sending them to me or autograph sessions. I've signed a, I've signed a ton of those. So that's a that's a great memory that I have. Yeah, because most of the time the Lakers who are on the cover, Kareem and Magic, you know, and then but you made it on the cover. Right. And of course, you got the uh, Fred Psycho Roberts is there too. That's one of the best oh, yeah. guys you got. <laughs> right. So. I want to ask you about the Magic Johnson hook shot that, that gave you um, that, the edge over the Lakers. What was going Game through four, your yeah. mind when they ran that play after Kareem had missed the free throw? Oh, man. Well, the play was designed to go into, go into Kareem, you know, right. and on that inbound play, Magic got it and Kevin McHale switched out on him. You know, so Magic looked into Kareem and, you know, really didn't think that he can get a, a, a good pass to him and decided to just take Kevin one-on-one. And I remember when he swung across the lane because I was at the top of the key, and I'm like, if he don't, if he don't shoot it, Danny Angel's kind of sunk down, so I'm going to have a wide-open shot. Uh, but when he went up to shoot it, even Paris tried to come to block it with Mikhail. Right, so right. Kareem was open under the basket, too. He could have dropped, he could have dropped know, it to Kareem, right? Yeah. He could have dropped it to Kareem. So when he shot it, you know, luckily it went in. But if he would have missed it, I think Kareem would have had an offensive rebound. But – I think also, you know, the year before that, uh, Magic missed a couple of free throws, had a turnover, mm-hmm. and he was determined not to let that happen again. So he took it upon himself to come out with the baby hook. Now, it was the first time a lot of people saw that hook, but Magic used to shoot that every day in shooting games with me and Coop. You know, we would play horse, and I would shoot jump shots from, you know, four-point range, which I know he couldn't do and Coop couldn't do. So when you missed, Magic was like, all right, hook shot right-handed, hook shot left-handed. And so we all got pretty adapted running hook shots and all that because those things that we practiced every day. He just had never used it in the game. And that was a perfect scenario because, you know, Kevin McHale with them long arms, if he doesn't shoot a hook shot, it probably gets blocked. So it was a perfect shot to shoot at that time. And like I said, he wanted some revenge over what he had done, you know, the, the, the year before. And he took it upon himself yeah. and he knocked it down. But even, yeah, let's go then, on to the next remember, topic. Let's, no, yeah, let's not. But talk even about then, that. even yeah. then, Larry Bird. We're Larry Bird almost now. hit. Larry Bird almost hit the yeah. shot. Remember, by I, uh, you know, he yeah went in and out. Yeah, in and out. So we we, we back got away with one there. The rim. Yeah, that, that was yeah. Well, rim. you know, if you yeah. listen to Larry after that press conference, he had hit one shot before that same spot. Right. And, right. and the great story about that is they're they're lining up, and Coop and and myself and James, we all trying to figure out if he you know who's going this way, who's going that way. And Larry stops us and he said, hey, guys, guys, listen, I'm going over there to the corner. DJ's doing throw the ball into me and I'm going to catch it and shoot it. It's not a damn thing y'all can do about it. He <laughs> knocks it down. Right? This is Larry Bird, the, the, the shit talker that I'm telling you about. He knocks it down. <laughs> and we go down. We go down. We miss the free throws. We get it back. Magic hits the hook. They come back out. They're in the same lineup. And Larry says, guys, same play. He's the same play. And this time he gets to the corner and James lost contact with him. And if you really look at it, they could have called a foul on James before the ball even was thrown in back because he was holding right, his right. shirt. 
That's and right. Larry, you know, gets away from him, gets to the corner. And this one was right on line because I'm standing directly on the bench behind him where he catches. And I'm looking at him shoot. I said, oh, shit, this is this is in. And it hits the rim and goes in the air. And we, you know, hands up, walking off the court. And I remember after the game, Larry was talking. He was just he was in the press conference just shaking his head. He said, I can't believe I missed it. That's how confident that guy was. I mean, he was such a great shooter and he loved those moments yeah. that he could not believe that he missed that shot. Yeah, right, right, right. yeah. Uh, so let's let's move on. Let's move on to the go. next topic. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fans. So, yeah. Come on, what's the next photo, no. Claude? Let's look at the next photo. <laughs> we, we prepared some nice ones. Here's here you are oh, with the Indiana Pacers. Uh, second two years favorite you team. Played there. You played for Larry Brown. <laughs> uh, you played with Reggie Miller. Yeah. How was that experience with Indiana? That was great. That was great because they uh, they they called me. Um, in LA, they came, they came to LA to play the Clippers and Larry Brown and Donnie Walsh, who's the general manager, called me and I was still a free agent. I hadn't signed with anybody. I had missed the first like week and a half of, uh, of, of the regular season. And they, mm -hmm. they asked me to come to the game. And after the game, I met with them and Larry Brown and Donnie Walsh, uh, you know, said, we, we really would love to sign you. And Larry Brown said, but I'm only I'm going to ask you two questions and I need you to be able to do these two things for me. If you can do these two things then we want to get you to Indiana as soon as possible. And I said, OK, coach. And he said, can you uh, be a leader for us? You know, your experience and your leadership is what we need. I said, absolutely. You know, and he said, and can you come off the bench and score? I said, absolutely. And he looks at Donnie. He said, OK, let's we need to get him a contract. We need to get him in Indiana and finish this road trip. So I pack up and I go to Indiana and I have two great years there. We get to the Eastern Conference Finals both years. Uh, I made a bold prediction when I got off the plane because all these reporters were there when I got off the plane. All the lights, you know, and everything. And they were asking me about why did I choose Indiana? And I said, well, you got Reggie Miller. You got the Davis boys. You got Rick Smith. I said, they got a really good team. You know, they just need somebody who can come in and, and, and kind of lead them, uh, you know, to, to win, you know, win the playoff series and get to the finals. And I said, I've, I've done that. And uh, they said, you know, get to the finals. They said, they've never been out of the first round. I said, oh, we'll be in the Eastern Conference Finals this year. And they said, what? I said, yeah, we'll be in the Eastern Conference Finals this year. And so when we were, you know, all the papers came to me. It was like, oh, my God. Okay, so you're a prophet now. And so what, what's in store for next year? But I'll I wait till next year. But I, I, I enjoyed playing with that group of guys. And Larry, Larry Brown, who's a Hall of Fame coach, who came to UCLA after I made my decision to go to Arizona State, he got the UCLA job and came to my high school and said, you know, don't count us out, you know, give us a chance. We would still love to recruit you, get you to UCLA, but I had already decided to go to Arizona State. So he uh, told me, listen, we finally got it right. Now we're finally together, so let's make this work. So it, I had a really good time in Indiana. How loud was it in Conseco? It was the oh, it was, it was the you, you it, it was Market Square Arena, right? Yeah, Market, Market Square Arena. Yeah, how loud? How loud it was, was it in it Indiana? Crazy. crazy fans. There were you know it's Hoosier town. You know they, they love their basketball, and now we got a team that's a winner. You know we we got a product on the floor that they can really be proud of, and you know we had our playoff runs, and the fans out there were just crazy. Great fans. Uh, even to this day, I go to Indiana. Those fans treat me good. Uh, you know, so uh, fond memories of playing in Indiana. I have a question yeah. about this yeah. picture because you're smiling as you shoot over John Starks. Yeah. <laughs> what was it like uh, 
going up against John Starks and, and all the other guards in that era? It was great, you know, because it was a physical game then. You know, so John and I would go at it, bumping each other. Him and Reggie would go at it. Derek Harper, who was a, a, a hell of a point guard, defensive-minded guard, who would, you know, get up in your grill and play you hard as well. Uh, you could hand check. You can bump back in those days. So you had to be – you had to have some strength, you know, when you're playing against some of those guys. So it, it was a fun time to play. You know, you just didn't get a chance to run around without getting hit. So I enjoyed that, uh, you know, that physicality of the game, you know, the contact that we all created with one another. John Starks is one of my buddies. I play in his golf tournament almost every year, and he's, he's a tremendous mm -hmm. person. And obviously he was a hell of a basketball player, so we, we had some battles. This, this particular shot, I remember he reached down and hit my arm, so that's why I'm kind of smiling because I was yelling, you know, I was screaming for the referee to call the foul. And uh, I can't remember if I got it or not, but, yeah, we, we had some battles. That's right. And yeah, one. Of course. One. Yeah. 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 Go sit. Yeah, yeah I said, okay. go ahead. No, I just want to backtrack a little bit, uh, Byron. We, we, we skipped over a couple of your other uh, two championship runs against the, uh, the Pistons. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. uh, which team do you hate more, actually, the Celtics or the Pistons? <laughs> I still, like I said, the Celtics, you know, that rivalry was, <laughs> was the greatest of all times. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, Celtic, the, the Pistons, the bad boys, you know, obviously they came along later and we beat them once they beat us once. Uh, but I, I always say that, you know, the year they beat us, you know, it's kind of an asterisk by it. I got right, hurt right. before the series started. Not hurt in game magic. So we really never had, you know, with our yeah. backcourt being out. So uh, they, they they won that series. But if we were at full strength, and I think we were going for our 3 P against them that year, right. if we were at full strength, yeah. I think it would have been a different outcome. Yeah. And Pat Riley would have cashed in on the 3 P. Yeah, because yeah. he, he patented that. Yes. Um, the question yeah. I have, of course, yes. uh, Mr. Scott, is Michael Jordan. Oh. That's the question. Michael <laughs> Jordan, that's the question. <laughs> that's the question. That's it. <laughs> He's he by far the hardest guy that I ever had to guard. You know, uh, MJ had no weaknesses. The only thing I thought that was probably the weakest part of his game was his outside shooting. Uh, so I remember one of the first times we were, we were playing against him, Maybe about the third time or so, Pat Riley was like, okay, we're going to change up. We're going to deny him everywhere on the floor. And, and at that time, I'm a, I'm a vet. I, I'm in my fourth or fifth year, and I'm, I'm kind of just standing there shaking my head. And Riley said, B, you don't agree with that? I said, no, nah, because Riley, if we deny him, he's going back door. I mean, he's smart. He, he knows how to play. If I deny him, he's going to go back door, and somebody's going to be on poster. And he said, well, what, what would you suggest? I said, I'm going to just let him catch it. I'm going to just try to stay in front of him and force him to shoot jump shots. And – after that game was over, he was six for 26, you know. So I, I had some some success against him, but then he had – I think the most he ever scored against me was 39. And, and another story that I tell people a lot of is that we had a rookie named Anthony Peeler, and we're about to play Chicago, and I'm hurt. And Chicago brings their bus down the form, and MJ gets off the bus, and he sees me walking out. He said, B. Scott. I said, what's up, MJ? He said, what's going on, man? I heard you're not playing tonight. I said, no, nah, I hurt my ankle, can't go tonight. He said, who go guard me? I said, Anthony Peeler. He said, the rookie, 50. <laughs> and, 50. Heard that story. And, yeah, I said to Anthony Peeler before the game, I said, listen, don't, don't be rough. Don't try to be all rough and tough with this guy. Don't try to be physical. Because Anthony Peeler was a physical guy. That's I right. said, let him catch it, make him shoot jump shots. I said, if you get physical, he's going to take it personal. And every time MJ scored, he looked at me on the bench. He ended the game with 54. 
So uh, he, he was uh, he's one of those guys that you just didn't want to piss off too much. That's right. That's right. Next photo. Let's look at the next photo. There's lots of stories yeah. still. Yeah, here's Kobe go. and Shaq. Kobe so and... you're one of the, you're one of two guys, uh, coach, that got to play with Kareem and Magic, and then Kobe and Shaq on the other side, right? You and AC Green uh, both both got that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. what were the dynamics at this time when you played with these two in, in, in that in your last season? Well, at this particular time, Bill Harris was our coach. Kobe was a rookie; he wasn't playing much at all. You know, I, I was a veteran guy, so I was, you know, coming off the bench playing in his in his uh, spot mostly. But the relationship that Kobe and I developed was unbelievable. We would sit on the bench together, and he would ask me questions on what was going on out there. And, you know, and I would tell him how to attack certain things and you know, just watch how this guy's coming off this pick. You know, if you go over the top, this is what he's going to do. So we would have a running dialogue on the, on, the, on the bench the entire game until I would go in. Uh, in practice, the same thing. You know, we would take uh, little strolls and, you know, around the neighborhood. We went to the beach a couple of times and we would just talk basketball. He was just a sponge. You know, he was one of those guys who just wanted to learn as much as he could. And mm -hmm. – you know, it, it was just a great time for me because I was a mentor at that time and I was trying to teach a young person who I saw, and, I, and I've said this, you know, in an interview that was circulating around, you know, a while back that, you know, we were sitting down and I was telling people, you know, mark my word, this kid is going to be great. Right, and, right. you know, I saw him every day. I saw how hard he worked and he was so passionate about the game. All he did was eat, sleep, and drink basketball. And he told me he wanted to be one of the greatest of all times. And I told him, the way you work, you keep working like this, you will be. And obviously, you know, that, that you know, that came true. But playing with him and Shaq was just a beast. You know, Shaq was just a yeah, beast. Yeah, talk about, Shaq. Just, talk about Shaq. Talk about Shaq. Yeah, Shaq was just, you know, he was a freak. You know, he, he had this unbelievable size and strength. But he also had unbelievable footwork and athleticism. Uh, the guy could bring the ball up the floor. The guy was a great passer. You know, his only his only you know, negative on the basketball court is he couldn't shoot free throws. You know, on a consistent right. basis. But there was there was. Did you try to help him shoot free throws? I did. Matter of fact, I, I did. And uh, we were going through some things in practice, and then Dale Dale Harris told me that he he's the free throw coach, so don't mess with Shaq anymore. Don't you know? And uh, so I said, <laughs> okay, you know. And, Shaq wasn't happy about it because we, you know, we, we had a nice little thing after practice going where we were shooting free throws together and I was you know, showing him how I shot him and giving him some pointers and things of that nature. But the man was an unbelievable basketball player. And, and I will say this about the reason that those two broke up and didn't get along at the end is because Kobe was such a work, you know, such a workaholic. And Shaq was a guy who was fun loving who had, you know, seasons over him had fun, you know, and, you know, that's not that's nothing wrong with that, obviously. But if he had the work ethic that that Kobe had, you know, Shaq would be right now mentioned as one of the greatest of all time. You know, not just centers but players. Uh, but he's still in that category, you know, without having to do uh, as much as Kobe wanted him to do. But you know, in his own in his own right, uh, Shaq he worked hard. I mean, the dude was never out of shape when I was there. He came to practice every single day, ready to practice. Uh, he he was just gifted. You know, and he was just a monster. Okay, let's check out the next photo. We got to talk about some players that Coach handled during his coaching career. Here's the first one yeah. of them, point guard yeah. for the Nets, Jason Kidd. Let's talk yeah. about Jason Kidd, Coach. Yeah. I mean, you're coaching one of the best point guards that ever played. I mean, you played with Magic Johnson. 
now you're coaching a guy like Jason Kidd, who played very much like Magic Johnson. Yeah, Jason Kidd was a, a smaller version of Bird. I mean, he you know he was a triple double just waiting to happen. Uh, every time he grabbed a rebound, he was a fast break. You know, instantly, uh, and, and he was he was fearless. You know, he he loved a challenge. You know, so any you know the guards on the other team that were great guards, he wanted to guard them. You never back down to anybody when it came to that. Um, he, he was just a great leader, you know, when I was in New Jersey. Uh, the thing that, that I loved about him is when, when he came on, the, you know, on the bus, uh, if his head was shaved, he was ready. He was ready for war. You know, he, you could tell that he was ready for the battle. And, uh, you know, he would go out there and he'd leave it all on the floor. He wasn't a great shooter, but it's funny because he would hit big shots. You know, wasn't a great shooter, but when the shot, when the game was on the line and you put it in his hands, he made big shots. You know, so he he was a he was a uh, smaller version of Magic Johnson. Uh, you know, he, he was going to average you know close to a triple dub every year, and that's what he did. And he was a winner. That was the one thing about J.K. He was a winner. Yeah, I have a question about the Jason Kidd. They called him Asen for a while because he didn't have a J. Did you have anything to do with adding the J to his arsenal? <laughs> Not really, you know. Uh, you know, he, he had he just had a jump shot that you know some some jump shots are fixables and some aren't. You know, his wasn't really fixable. You just you know just went with the flow, and you know, there was gonna be some games where he knocked him down on a regular basis, and there was gonna be some games that he didn't. But the one thing you knew yeah. about him, his game didn't rely on him shooting. He could change the game and have a, a positive impact on the game without taking a single shot. You know, I, I remember playing against Phoenix, and he had his goal was not to shoot the ball at all, but still beat him by 20. And we did that because he ended up with 12, 13 rebounds and 20 assists. I think he took two shots that game uh, to try to make a point, you know, of them trading me. But he was the one guy that didn't have to score for in order to be, you know, successful. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, right. scoring for him was just a bonus. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And then now he's that's coaching, and I'm sure you're not surprised yeah. that he's coaching. What, what's the next photos? We have yeah. to compare these guys. I, I know Sid fixed it in a way that yeah. this is another guy. This guy is number three or number two? Number three all time in assists already now. He just number he just, three after, number three. Uh, yeah, trailing only Jason Kidd and John Stockton. That's right. Yeah. So, Chris Paul, yeah. you were coach of the year while coaching uh, the New Orleans Hornets back in 08. And then Chris Paul still around, still doing his thing until now, coach. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite people of all times, Chris Paul, uh, great family man. His mom and dad, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Paul, are tremendous people. Uh, when I first met him, we brought him in to work out, and I walked up to him. His eyes got big, and he gave me a little handshake, and he, he just looked like he was in awe because, you know, and that's Coach Scott, you know, kind of thing, you know. And we went and worked him out. He had a great workout. And I asked him, you know, after the workout, I said, you know, you don't have any tattoos? He said, no, my mom and dad would kill me if I have a tattoo. He reminded me of uh, Isaiah Thomas. Uh, Isaiah Thomas was the guy that, you know, baby face assassin, as I used to call him, because he would smile and be all happy. And in the game, so he tried to rip your heart out. That is Chris Paul to a T. And he, he just reached another milestone. He is the only player in NBA history to have 20,000 points and 10,000 assists. So the kid has had an unbelievable career. Uh, I was hoping last year that they won the championship mm -hmm. because I think he yeah. deserves it. But I was glad to see him get to the finals, you know, and kind of get that off his back because that's something that he had been longing for. But he's another guy that just, you know, he would do anything out there on the basketball court to win. 
he, he's the ultimate, you know, ultimate competitor on a basketball court. And just like I said, one of my favorite people of all times. Hopefully he does get that ring before he, uh, he retires. Yeah, yeah I, I hope so. I really do. Okay, what's next on the slideshow as we move along? I know this is another guard. Here's another guard Ooh. that you coached with Cleveland. <laughs> Kyrie Irving yeah. was yet to play a game this season. How about this guy, talent-wise? And, and if you're going to compare him to the other two that we just showed, Jason Kidd and Chris Paul. Yeah, I mean, I, I got both of these guys right when I talk about Chris Paul and Kyrie. I told, I told the press both of them were the rookie of the year, and they both did. Uh, and, and I've said this about Kyrie. He's the most gifted offensive player at 19 that I've ever seen in my life. Uh, he, he can do anything on a basketball court. His handle is unbelievable. He can finish with either hand. Uh, he's a great finisher when he gets to the basket. He puts spin on the ball that I've never seen before with left or right. Uh, he can even post up players, which he chooses not to do because he was doing it in our practices a lot. Uh, but he's the most gifted offensive player that I've ever seen at, at, at 19 years old. And he, he's an all-star. He, he, he will go down if he can get back healthy and get back on the basketball court. Uh, he will be a Hall of Famer as well. You know, but he has to get his act together as far as you know, basketball is concerned. He has to be able to play uh, or sustain his playing time instead of these injuries that he's been getting over the last four or five years. But talent-wise, he's probably more talented than the other two that we just talked about in Chris Paul and Jason Kidd. I might, I might agree, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. this guy's yeah. got all, yeah. all package. Yeah, he just needs well, to get he's, on the he's floor. He's not, he's not playing. <laughs> he's not playing. Okay, but I like that you're smiling yeah, at him in this picture. You're like, yeah, I got, I got me a good player right here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's, what's the next photo, Claude? Oh, that's oh, here. This is here. That's here. Yeah. You're at the Philippine yeah. Arena. Yeah. That's yeah. huge. Yes, that's, that's Christmas time. Yeah, you joined Christmas the panel at the Christmas Day game. Yeah, Christmas Day game. Yeah, Christmas Day game. And, uh, my wife and I were in the Philippines, um, and we had a great time. We went to Boracay first. We went to a wedding in Boracay, so we spent a week in Boracay, and then we went to Manila and spent a week there. And I was amazed that my wife had been telling me, you know, for years how – big the Lakers are in the Philippines and how many fans we have there. And I didn't know that until we got there. And actually the second or third day of leaving the hotel, there's a line of people and you know, kids wanting autographs with my card. I was, I was shocked, but uh, this was a great day, you know, just to go to the game, enjoy the game. And I, I you know, the fans, if I remember correctly, it was like 20 or 30,000 fans on Christmas day at this game. And I was shocked that they had so many fans and, uh, some of the Filipino people were telling me that that was they were disappointed that it was not enough fans. I was so it was uh, this was a good day. It was the first time I've been in the Philippines and I really enjoyed it. And uh, the wife and I will be back in 2022, that's for sure, as long as yes, everything sir. is right, uh, continuing. Right. Yeah, that's great. Well, just you're, to you're let you know, photo. coach, yeah, just yeah. to let you know, coach Briar and I was the PA announcer of that game, and I, I think I announced <laughs> your name in this game, yeah. Yeah, he was the one. He oh, was okay. the guy telling everyone that you were there. You're in this photo. You're with two legends, Kenito Hanson and Seb Sarmenta, and then the other guy's Dominico. He's not a legend yet, but so these are the these are the these are the guys. All our friends. We work. We work. We work with these three guys when we do the game. So oh, it, was, cool. it was great. You also you that's also cool. went to the San Juan Arena to watch a game. That's where I met you, uh, that same year. Yes, and we yes. had a photo as well at halftime. Yeah. So yeah, you you watched a couple of games of the PBA and and yeah, but that, that, that's a right. huge ass venue, so it's hard to fill. That's fifty thousand people. It's yeah. hard to fill up. 
that's where you two uh, right perform. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's why I was I was surprised that they were disappointed and all the fans that were there. But uh, <laughs> it, was, it was great to see how how the fans support the PBA, and the, it was great to watch the game. So it was a lot of fun. And uh, well, I think we have one last photo on the slideshow. Let I guess let's show it already, Coach. I know you have this new podcast yeah. of your own. It's called Off the Dribble. Lots of stuff that you're doing. You've been really busy. Of course, your first few guests here are the usual guys. You got James Worthy. You got uh, Michael Cooper. I think you had Cap on, on the show as well. Uh, lately, yeah. you've had Marcus Allen, who's a football player, if you guys don't know, Oakland yeah. Raiders. Yeah. Yeah. So he was on the show. You had Jeffrey Osborne, right? I mean, your, your last guest, <laughs> yes. Jeffrey Osborne. And I know, I yes. saw a video back in, back in the 80s, late 80s. I saw you singing one of Jeffrey Osborne's songs, the Woo song. You were yes. singing it. Because I yes. know Byron Scott can sing. Okay, he's got yeah. a great voice, Coach Byron. <laughs> so you were you were seeing one of Jeff, Jeffrey Osborne's songs. So I was going to ask you about that, and suddenly he's on your podcast. I was laughing. I said I was going to ask him, and then suddenly you're there. But tell us about this podcast and what your plans are moving forward for that. Well, like like you said, it's called Off the Dribble, and we've had uh, five episodes so far. So we just started, but it's uh, it's doing well. We're getting a lot of views. So all my Filipino fans, please uh, tune in. It's on YouTube as well, and pretty much any. Uh, you know, anywhere that you can get podcasts, we're on as well. But Jeffrey Osborne uh, is one of our latest guests. But it, it, the, the one thing I wanted to do, guys, is have a have a podcast with people that I know and respect, and not always about sports. So I got some entertainment people coming on as well. Uh, you know, obviously sports, but music and entertainment. So uh, Cedric. A Cedric Entertainer will be on season two. Uh, Jamie wow. Foxx is on season two. I'm still hunting down Sugar Ray Leonard. You know, Sugar Ray Leonard. Wow. Oh, that's I my got, man. That's wow. my favorite get, boxer of all time. I got to get Pacquiao on his here on one of these days as well. But you know what? I'm having a lot of fun doing it because, as you guys know, it's not an interview. It's a conversation. And I'm having right. a conversation yeah. with guys that I have respect for. But a lot of the guys that I'm having conversations with, you know, besides my my old teammates, are guys that I've known for years, but we've really never sit down and had conversations, you know. So it, it's been a lot of fun for me. And uh, like I said, you know, having having James kick it off, and then Kareem, and then Coop, and AC Green, Magic could be on this uh, on season two. You know, it, it's just been a lot of fun, and I enjoyed it. I didn't I didn't think I was going to enjoy it like this, but you know, getting to know some of the guys that I've known over the years. We talked about Diane Cannon and Andy Garcia, and I, I want to do, uh, um, you know, just just other women. I got Vivica Fox, who's a, who's an actress that's coming on as well. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I want to get women, just just all different, you know, all different genres on, and just just have conversation and, and have fun and get some of the backstories that a lot of people wouldn't know or hear about because of the race relationships I have with most of these guys. Obviously, we we've shared some things that are not public. That I would like to bring to light. So uh, yeah, I'm gonna continue to do it, and I, I appreciate you guys kind of plugging it for me as well. That's that's nice of you. Why don't you get Cedric Mack and Danny Ainge on yeah, your wait. show as well? Get who? The Celtics, Cedric Maxwell and Danny Ainge. Why don't you get them? <laughs> you know, I talk about that. Danny Ainge, get Larry, get Cedric. Uh, try to get Kevin. ML Carr. I thought ML that would Carr. be great too. Email would be great. As you can see, we got, we got you know the picture with me and James. We had a we had a glass of wine while we were doing the show, having a good time. I mean, <laughs> Coop had a glass of wine with me, and Coop, yeah, we we just we just had a good time. But uh, it would be great to get some of the Celtics, and and we talked about that uh, about two or three weeks ago. 
uh, when we finished up season one, you know, trying to get some Celtics for season two or season three. And I said, listen, we just got to hunt them down. But, man, that would be a lot of fun to talk to them about the rivalry and get their perspective from their, you know, from their point of view as well, because I think it would be a good conversation. Yeah. You get the chief get on it. It's going to be a funny episode, right? Huh? You get Robert yeah, Parrish on it's going to be a funny episode. I'll tell you what, the chief, the chief was fantastic. We, we played the Celtics one, you know, one year. The chief was at the free throw line, and you guys know the stoic look of, of Robert Parrish. Uh-huh. never yeah. smiles. And I said, I said, chief, $100, you don't make both of them. And he looked over at me like that, and he said, bet. And so he makes the first one, misses the second one. We continue to play the game. I, I forgot all about it. You know, we go in the locker room after the game. A ball boy comes over and says, uh, Mr. Scott, Chief told me to get this to you. It was a $100 bill. So he yeah. didn't forget the bet. You know? <laughs> I'm sure if he would have made them both, he would see the ball boy over and say, tell, tell Byron Scott I want my money. So uh, he was a man of his word. The chief, <laughs> yeah, he was. He was. Love it. Chief. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's great to see you. James Worthy. We, like I said, we haven't even talked about him. So many other personalities. Reggie Miller, you played with. You played that season in Vancouver. I know they're they're coming up with some sort of a, a documentary or a movie about the Vancouver Grizzlies. Yeah. Uh, that you're going to be a part of as well. Yeah, so you are a part of that. Yeah, I spent I spent a few hours with them this morning talking about the inaugural uh, season and what I remembered about it in the city of Vancouver, which is a beautiful city. Uh, love that city. Uh, had a lot of fun there, you know, the year that I was there. Uh, obviously, expansion team, you're not going to do well or too well, you know, and uh-huh. you're trying to get a bunch of guys together and, you know, guys are going so many different directions. It's hard to get any continuity in, in any type of uh, uh, relationships with guys because we had our veteran guys and then you had a bunch of young guys and the young guys were just – you know, thinking about partying and not basketball and the older guys are thinking about basketball. So we, we bumped we bumped heads a lot, you know, in the locker room. And that's one of the reasons I, I think we could have been more successful. They, obviously, if everybody's on the same page, but it wasn't. But that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's what expansion teams do. You know, you get a bunch of guys in there and you try to figure out the four, five, six, or seven that you're going to keep. And then the other ones you're going to try to, you know, fill in with other people. So it was a tough year because I had never experienced losing. You know, so that was tough for me. Uh, but it also taught me a lot about myself uh, and also getting ready to go into the coaching ranks uh, on how to deal with losing as well. So it was a, it was a great experience in the city. Like I said, it was, uh, was fantastic. And they, they opened their arms to us as basketball players and the organization was good as well. So I had a good time in Vancouver. Well, you know, we've had a great time telling stories with Coach Byron Scott. But before we go to our regular segments, before we end, just one question, I guess, each, uh, you know, from, from you guys. Before we let uh, Coach Byron Scott go, Noel, yeah, yeah. I know you have a question. Yeah, I just wanted to know about – I just wanted to ask you about uh, Kobe Bryant's last game when he went off for 60. You never took him out of the floor. And uh, that was, for me, one of the most memorable, memorable games. I'm a Celtics fan, but I gave mad respect to Kobe after that game. Talk about that game. You know what? That game was a very emotional game for me um, you know, because of our, our 20-year relationship that we had. Uh, the first half, I took him out for about six minutes. The second half, you know, he was he was rolling so good that I told him, you, you know you're not coming out playing the rest of the game. And there was a point in time with about four or five minutes left in that game where he was exhausted. You know, I mean, I, could, I looked yeah. at him on the bench and he was just flat out exhausted. But his just sure will, you know, his sure will to just go out there and win and give it all he got, uh, I think allowed him to get through that game. But I think we saw something in Kobe that last game that we'll never see in our lifetime again. A guy at 37, 38 years old retiring after 20 years 
in the NBA, and he scores 60. That That is it, perfect for here in L.A. because that's Hollywood. That's what Hollywood stories are all made of. And I'm sure one day somebody's going to do, you know, do, do a movie on Kobe. Uh, but for me, that was a defining moment in our relationship over a 20-year span uh, to kind of see it come full circle and to see him go out the way that he went out. I, I couldn't wish nothing better for him. When you learned about Kobe's passing, uh, what went through your mind initially? Well, grief, obviously, is the first thing. But I, I think the first thing, you know, before the grief was disbelief. Uh, I, I just didn't want to believe it. You know, my wife uh, was in the bathroom getting dressed, and she just started screaming, oh, my God, and we were about to go to church. And she's the one that told me that, you know, she had just read on TMZ that Kobe passed away in a, in a you know, helicopter helicopter accident and um you know i was just stunned i was shocked i started turning on every channel to see and then my phone started ringing off the hook and um every time i answered they were asking me if it's true and i said i have no idea you know i'll call you later and let you know and mostly was a friend of mine and we were on our way to church and found out that it was true and i turned right back around and went home um, and basically just sit in the house for the next four or five days i just couldn't believe that um, somebody who I loved, somebody who I cherished, uh, somebody who I had the ultimate respect for as a basketball player and as a person uh, was was gone just that that quickly. Uh, so yeah, I, I was. I mean, just like so many, I, I, I even seen the murals that they did in the Philippines, you know, for Kobe. Um, I was hurting just like you know, probably the whole world, you know, and maybe a little bit more because of the personal relationship that I have with. Yeah, we still all can't believe that he's gone, but yeah, that's just really anyway. Sid, so you have something for coach before we wrap up? Yeah, well, I just wanted to ask uh, very quickly what do you think of the current state of the NBA? Uh, um, the, the way where the, the game is headed, uh, in, in, the, in the 2020s, um, is there are there things you like about the style of play now or things you, you dislike? Well, I, I mean. You know, I, I get criticized for being old school. You know, the game has always been played inside out instead of outside in. Uh, but, but the game of basketball right now is, is still a beautiful game. You still got athletes that are doing things that are just amazing. Seven, you, you got Kevin Durant at 6'11". He would be a power forward in our day, you know, 6'11". Yeah. You wouldn't be allowed to dribble the ball. He, he dribbles the ball like he's a two-guard or a one-guard. You know, gets to his spots and he raises up and he, he's got a beautiful jump shot. He's just one of the most unstoppable players. Giannis, you know, this guy can get to the basket on anybody. And, he, you know, he, if he shoots 47 percent from the field, you know, when he when he you know, from the free throw line out, you know, that that's a plus. You know, Steph Curry, I, I would pay to see Steph Curry play because he, he is you know, when he crosses half court, you got to guard him. And not only can he shoot the ball, you know, he can catch it and he come off pin downs and picks and catch and shoot and create his own shot. So I, I think for me, there, there's still a, a lot of beauty to the game of basketball. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, the big man is almost irrelevant now if you can't shoot jump shots, if you can't make a three-pointer. Yeah. You know, if you can make a three-pointer and you can post up, you just become that much more valuable. So I, I don't watch a lot of NBA basketball game during the regular season. I watch a lot of it during the playoffs because I think that's when these guys really start to play, you know, most of the time. Uh, but, yeah, they, I mean, I, I love the fact that it's still more of an up-paced game and the scoring is a lot higher than it used to be. Uh, 
I don't like the fact that you got seven footers out there shooting three pointers when they can't, when some of them can't make them, but they're doing it just to try to keep the defense honest. But, uh, you know, I'm a basketball purist and, and I love the game. So, you know, game goes the cycle. This is, this, this is a, a different, you know, uh, you know, the, the revolution of the game of basketball is going to change every 10 years or so. So I think we all have to get used to it. And, you know, what we're watching right now is, is kind of the norm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bill Lambeer shot jumpers together. too, right? <laughs> yeah, Bill Lambeer. I know we're going to talk about Bill Lambeer now. He's talking about Bill Lambeer shooting <laughs> yeah, jumpers shot- back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, he shot he jumpers because had- he couldn't post up. You know, that's a different story. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you got to guess him on your podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bill would be fun too. Uh, matter of fact, Isaiah Thomas and I have been going back and forth. I'm trying to get him on as well, so. He, yeah, he's another guy. One of my favorites too. One of my favorites too. We didn't even talk about Joe Joe Dumas. Just so many, too many topics to cover yeah. with Coach Scott. I don't know. Maybe we can invite you back again in the future and then cover all of that. But it's been great today. We have some segments uh, that we do on a regular basis, Coach. Uh, before we let you go, there's a segment on our show called Excess or O's. It's uh, brought to us by Hinalaban Coffee and Adlai. Thank you, Hinalaban, for supporting our show. Uh, it's it's. I give you some choices, Coach, and you just tell me which one you choose without having to explain why. Okay, so let's go through a list. Okay. I'll just I'll just tell me which which you choose. Number one, Alton Lister or Kurt Nymphius? <laughs> Alton Lister. Alton Lister. Okay, okay. Lots of Kurt Nymphius stories. I know crazy ones. How about this, Antonio or Dale Davis? Oh wow, that's a good one, uh, Antonio. Antonio, okay, okay. How about this, Vlade Divac or Rick Smith? That's that's a real good one. Um, wow, <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's uh, a tough one, really. That's a tough one. I, 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 yeah, I'm gonna be a little biased. I'm, I'm gonna go with my boy Vlade Divac. Vlade, okay, Vlade. Yeah. This one, Randy Fund or Bill Burtka? Bill Burtka. Without a doubt. Okay. Without a doubt. Okay. Okay. Jerry West or Donnie Walsh? Jerry West. Yeah. Jerry West. Okay. Gotta be the logo. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Magic and Kareem or Shaq and Kobe? Magic and Kareem. Magic and Kareem, mm-hmm. of course. Okay. Jason Kidd or Chris Paul? <laughs> wow. Uh, that's another good Chris Paul. Chris Paul. Okay. Okay, finals opponents. Uh, Phil Jackson or Greg Popovich? Woo! <laughs> I'm going to go with Pop. Pop. I'm going to go with, go with Pop. Pop. Okay. Okay. Celtics or Pistons? <laughs> we go Celtics. Go Celtics. Okay. Kyrie Irving. <laughs> Stefan Marbury or Baron Davis? Whoa, that's another good one. Um, I thought long and hard about all of these choices. You're doing a good job. Yeah, that, that's a good. One. <laughs> that, that's a good one, Charlie. I'm, I'm gonna go with Baron Davis. Baron no. Davis. Okay, okay, okay. You're the bigger. I won't ask why. We don't have to explain. So I no no explanation. Yeah. 1985 <laughs> championship or 1987 championship. 1985. 85, yeah. I'm pretty sure you'd say that. Coaching 84. or playing? 
84 is not counted. 84 is not counted. You Celtic fans keep quiet. Uh, playing, playing over coaching. Yeah, most of you say that. Most of the most of the players yes. who coach say, Isaiah Thomas or John Stockton. Whoa, that's another good one. Wow. Yeah, uh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I'm gonna go Isaiah Thomas. Okay, Isaiah Thomas. How about this? Dumars or Moncrief? Ooh, that's a tough one. And do yeah. Joe Dumar. That's a that's a yeah. good one too. That's a good one. Oh man. That's a real good one. I'm gonna go with Sydney Moncrief though. That's yeah, a good I one. I would go there too. Uh-huh. Yeah. John yeah. Sally or Dennis Rodman. I'm gonna go with the worm. I'm gonna go with John. The worm over the spider. Okay, the worm over the spider. Okay, next Adrian Dantley or Mark Aguirre. Another good one, boy. They, they, they Dantley didn't so get a right. ring. You got to remember, Dantley no ring. Yeah, I'm gonna go, go with Mark Aguirre. Okay, Mark Aguirre. Okay, uh, Kevin McHale or Larry Bird? Mm-hmm. Oh, Larry Bird. Larry Bird. Of course. Okay. Yeah. DJ or Danny Ainge? Uh, DJ. DJ. Nets, Cavs, Hornets, or Lakers? <laughs> I got to go purple and gold. You know, I got to go All Lakers. Right. <laughs> yes, sir. And the last one, not basketball related, Al Pacino or Robert De Niro? <laughs> That's a good one, too. I'm a big Al Pacino fan. Go Al Pacino. Okay. All right. All right. Al Pacino, Scarface. Thank you so much. That's XSROs for episode 105. Good one, Charlie. by Coffee and Adlai. Thank you, Hinalaban, for supporting us. Okay, Noel, your turn. All right. Let Coach Byron Scott, you've had a very long basketball career, 14 years as a player. How does Byron Scott want to be remembered in the sport of basketball? What's your legacy? What's your legacy going to be? Oh, I would like to be remembered as a competitor, uh, a guy who came out there and played hard every single night and played the right way, um, and a guy who was a, who was a uh, who was a sportsman on the basketball court. You know, I wasn't the guy who threw cheap shots and things like that. I played the game, uh, at least in my mind, the right way, and I played with the uh, the utmost respect for the game. So sportsmanship and is something that's important to me. So I would like to be remembered as a uh, fierce competitor, but a guy who was a gentleman to the game and who played with great sportsmanship. All right. All right. Amazing. Well, Celtics fans, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Go, Sid. Your turn. Yeah. Okay, my question, Byron, is uh, who are your five favorite teammates of all time? It can be from any team, from high school, you know, up to uh, your playing career. Oh, my of all time. Uh, Magic Johnson, Michael Cooper, uh, Reggie Miller, uh, James Worthy. And see, it's hard because I, I got to leave out three or four of the guys that I love too. But uh, <laughs> right, three right. Of my ball. All right. Four Lakers and one Pacer. Four Lakers and, and a Pacer. That's all right, in the top right. 75, except for Cooper. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And then he's being considered for the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Okay, Coach, before we let you go, I mean, you had a long career all the way from uh, Morningside to the your last year, your second stint with the Lakers. Then you coached for several years as, as well. Um, is there anyone you'd like to thank 
or or just give some appreciation to, you can do that now. Someone you'd like to greet, you know, acknowledge. Thank you. I would like to thank uh, Coach Jim Newman. Jim Newman uh, recruited me to Arizona to, to Arizona State. You know, God rest his soul, uh, who stayed on me to be a better player when I was at ASU. Uh, then I would love to thank Jerry West, the logo, for being what I call my basketball dad. Every decision I made when I got into coaching, I would call the logo, and we would talk about it, and uh, he would give me his advice on if I should take the job or not. And then Dr. Buss, you know, the greatest owner of all times, who was such a friend to me, uh, especially at the, 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 the low times of my life, you know, when I was when I got fired from a few jobs, he was always there. Uh, and then the last person I'm going to think is my last people, I should say, is my mom and dad for being just great moms and dad for raising me and uh, teaching me to how, how to be uh, humble uh, and respective and uh, taught me what it, what it means to, to, to work for everything that you got. Those people are all the people I would like to thank. But all right, Coach. On that note, we'd like to thank you for coming yes. on An Eternity of Basketball. It's been an honor and a privilege for the three of us, two Celtic fans and a Laker fan right here. Yeah. Showtime, yeah, baby. Right, sir? <laughs> Five championships in the 80s, my friends. So... Uh, thanks so much, Coach, for joining us for this show. Coach Byron Scott is such a busy guy. He makes appearances. He's at the UCLA game. Sometimes he's at the Lakers game. Suddenly he's talking to Bas Rutten. He's doing some Muay Thai. Uh, you know, he goes to Filipino Heritage Night for the Dodgers. And now he has his own uh, podcast, Catch It, Guys, Off the Dribble with Byron Scott. So let's support that show as he has supported our show over here. Thank you so much, Coach, uh, for all the stories. And, and maybe we'll, we'll talk to you yeah. again soon. You know, it, it's been great. For us, for me especially, guys, I just need to say, yeah, baby. <laughs> okay, so that does it for episode 105. Thank you to all our followers for, for uh, joining us once again. We'd like to thank the Globally Balling Network. We'd like to thank Hinulaban for sponsoring Excess or O's. And San Miguel Corporation, San Miguel Beer Baby, which supports us, uh, is, is our partner for this show. I'd like to thank Mrs. Scott as well. Thank you for helping out, uh, for bringing Coach Byron on our show. So maraming salamat sa lahat. Uh, thanks, Coach. And we'll uh, we'll support your show for sure. Episode 105 is in the books. Should have been an all-star in 1988. Coach Byron Scott, thank you for joining us. Our show is done. It's in the books. We say thank you. We'll tell you our next guest as soon as we can. We'll announce it on our Facebook page. Take care, everybody. God bless you all. Thank you, Coach. Thank you, Coach. Bye, Coach. Thank you, guys. Appreciate you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That concludes this episode of An Eternity of Basketball. As a reminder for this show and others like it and projects like it, go to globallyballin.com as well as follow Globally Ballin on all social media, including facebook.com slash globallyballin, Twitter at globallyballin, and Instagram. You can also follow this show directly at An Eternity of Basketball on Instagram or facebook.com slash an eternity of basketball. 
thank you, and make sure to catch next week's episode.